Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts. Please remember that each horse is an individual and you should seek professional advice before implementing any of the strategies or topics we discuss. This week, Nancy and I are looking at part two of research that was carried out by Sue Dyson et al. And the title of this research paper is Can Veterinarians Reliably Apply a Whole Horse Ridden Ethogram to Differentiate Between Non-Lame and Lame Horses Based on Live Horse Assessment of Behaviour? So might be a bit of a mouthful to take in, but... Essentially, a ridden horse ethogram was developed and it was created with um, different behaviours with the aim of these behaviours determining whether the horse was showing signs of pain. So it looked at non-lame and lame horses and lame horses before and after they had had diagnostic analgesia. So diagnostic analgesia is also can be commonly referred to as nerve blocks where we put in um, pain relief or essentially like a local anesthetic at different levels in the limb to determine or isolate where the pain is occurring. So if you have pain that's occurring in your horse somewhere between the knee and the fetlock joint and we start down um, at the hoof and we put in a nerve block, then your horse is still going to show pain because we've just blocked from the hoof down. If we go to the fetlock joint, then we've just blocked from there down. Your horse will still show pain. Once we block from the knee, that pain can disappear. And then we've isolated where it is. So I hope that makes sense on the nerve block front. But this was carried out, this um, assessment of the ridden horse ethogram based on the ridden horses in person and on video recordings. So there were 20 different horse rider combinations and they performed a purpose-designed dressage test where they did working trot, working canter, and the addition of some 10 diameter meter circles was included in that as well. And from this, they had veterinarians and one trained um, assessor to determine whether there was any lameness. So. The veterinarians had some preliminary training, so not anything, you know, crazy in depth. And then there was a professional who was really, um, at a, really well trained in this area and could pick up those nuances of lameness. So this was a really interesting study, Nancy. Like I think there were so many aspects to it where, like, fifty five percent of the horses in the study you know, we're showing signs of lameness or sorry, not signs of lameness. I should say 55% had an ill-fitting saddle that was causing discomfort. Like yeah. that figure completely blew my mind. Yeah. And 80% or 16 horses were lame and yet they were voluntarily put in this uh, program because the owners did not realize they were lame. Now, it was thought that possibly they volunteered because they suspected something wasn't right, but they couldn't pinpoint what was going on. And the saddle fitting 
they said didn't really affect the ethogram, but there were, you know, problems with saddle fitting. And I will say saddle fitting will crop up as back pain over time as those pressure points are activated over and over and over again. So um, this was good. I thought to me, this was a great study because horses as flight animals, they instinctively remain silent in the face of pain because they can't show that vulnerability as a prey animal. So that's why sometimes they'll go into learn helplessness and they'll become um, that stare that's part of the ethogram. Um, but the ridden horse pain ethogram shows that they have a voice if these observers are trained to listen to what they're saying. So I'll put a link on our homepage to the ethogram and you can go over those behaviors because I missed one of them. I, I went to the Horses and People website, which is a wonderful Australian publication, and they actually had photos of horses exhibiting some of the behaviors. And one photo of a paint horse looked like, to me, he was in a proper frame, he or she, and looked comfortable but there was an ever so subtle hind limb toe drag that I would have missed. And in some of the live assessments, they may have missed some behaviors, but then they went back and watched the video in real time, the video, and they were able to find where they missed some things. And it, it can be a lot to account for all these 24 behaviors uh, during an eight minute test. I think it was eight and a half minutes, the test, yeah. but it was amazing how uh, some of these behaviors I've seen. And I wonder if this couldn't be used to kind of miti mitigate uh, stress on the racetrack because we know all of our athletes get sore and that's part of training and that's part of their building blocks of training. But if we could use that behavior uh, before soreness becomes something more than just soreness. So, um, but anyway, it, it's, there's a um, deep thought into this and, you know, I kind of had to ponder each of those behaviors and in what instances I've seen that. I feel like there may be a market for creating some kind of equine Epsom salt bath that they, yeah. or like a pool that they can go in. But no, I completely agree with what you said, Nancy, because to me, you know, reading the paper, it even says one of the behaviors is the frequency in the gait. So like the gait being too slow in trot and it does say in the paper, you know, with experience, you will be able to pick that up without necessarily having to time the trot. You know, you'll just be able to watch the horse and be like, that's too slow. But I think that's something that's so subtle. I mean, how often do we really, you know, on the racetrack, you time, you time constantly because time is money. You know, you want those horses to hit their speeds. But how often do we actually time our horses 
just in general training. And also the inclusion of those 10 meter diameter circles was really important Mm -hmm. because that actually puts the horse under a little bit more pressure. You know, horses can um, navigate those larger circles where you're, you know, maybe using half the arena. They can navigate those quite easily. But when you bring them down to these smaller circles, it does kind of put that little extra stress on their body. And then it's going to exaggerate a lameness that is there and make that a little bit clearer. And there are lots of different, you know, flexion tests and things like that. But I thought this was interesting because, you know, this is something that you can simply kind of apply. You could easily do your ridden work as you are and just video it using the coach's eye, as Nancy has said so many times. So useful. And um, if the coach's eye wants to go in partnership with us at this point. I really I really don't own them. I, I have to say, but I, I love that app. But you could just set up your phone and record it and then just, you know, establish it and base it especially with that kind of an app where you can take repeated recordings and compare them. I think that would be really useful. But in this, they found, you know, the vets with that small amount of preliminary training weren't far off. And so with using the ethogram, which is great to see as well. So, you know, that's either that the preliminary training in itself is um, sufficient enough or is potentially robust but also the equine vets obviously do have this basis of knowledge and they know the movement of the horses. Um, so it's just really kind of clamping down on those subtleties that can be missed. Like Nancy said, just dragging a toe. Yeah. I, I like the pictures. So I'll put a link to that um, website as well in the article that they did on this paper because I think it's important to note that all 20 horses uh, were ridden by their usual riders and they were allowed a 15-minute warm-up and then they did an eight-and-a-half-minute purpose-designed preliminary level dressage test But the interesting thing is all these horses were in daily work. And so there's 20 horse and rider combinations. And out of the 20, 16 showed low-grade lameness or abnormalities, and especially at the canter. So that means no one was picking that up. And these horses were in regular work every day. So sometimes maybe lameness is more subtle than what we even want to admit. Definitely. Because within that ethogram as well, what I thought was interesting is where they said these horses all that were chosen, the 20 horses had to have the capability of being on the bit. And on the bit is where they work with um, their foreheads at a vertical position. And that's not the same, you know, as roll curve. Sometimes people can confuse when they think of the head in a vertical position, they think of the neck vertical as well and everything kind of pulled in um, and closing down that airway. You know, they can have a relaxed neck and still have their heads on the vertical. So within the ethogram as well, they said even like the horse extending beyond or coming in under that vertical kind of resisting on either side of that and again just such a a subtle you know it might not be subtle the horse may be very clearly you know 
pushing their head out, but it could be really subtle and something that you could also pick up just from getting used to observing. And I think that's hard too, when we're always the ones on our horse's backs. You know, maybe it's useful sometimes to jump down and have someone else sit up so you can just see the movement. Yeah, or have someone videotape you so mm-hmm. you'll see it once you're done riding because um, the horses and riders, they went on both left and right reins and in walk, trot, and canter. And then um, also the one horse, I missed it. She, It wasn't her nose that was behind or in front of the vertical. It was her ears. And at the same time, she was toe dragging on the left the left hind leg and I would have never caught that because to me it looked like she was in perfect form except I never thought those ears could pass the vertical as well so I learned something there I, I know pinned ears but these weren't pinned ears these were just past the vertical so um, they said those photos are at the um, AHT or the Animal Health Trust as well but I will definitely put a link up and take a look and see if you're observing the same behaviors in your horses and maybe just mull it over and think if maybe there's something not quite right. And within this as well they said you know that the saddle we can have that slight movement from side to side slight oscillation of the cantle and that can be normal but really to determine what is slight and what is you know major so major movement where we're having a lot of sliding is usually a reflection of hind limb lameness and in this study they found the horses that did present with hind limb lameness um were the ones that had that movement with the saddle. So, you know, saddle slip in horses may also be contributing to this kind of apaxial muscle pain or this back muscle pain. And it can be, as Nancy said, you know, just because your saddle fits in the spring, it may not fit, you know, a month later, it may not fit two months later. So it's something that we need to be kind of dynamic with constantly checking. Yeah, and in that picture I'm looking now, it looks like the rider is too big for the saddle. And you can see the horse, there's a pretty firm rein pressure that where the horse is actually leaning on the bit rather than on the bit. So um, take a, a look at that picture. I'm going to see, I don't think I can post images on the anchor homepage, but I'll definitely put the link there. But it looks like she could use a little bit um, um, larger saddle. So that maybe saddle fit did affect that. Although they did find that the saddle fit fitting issues did not really affect the grade or the scoring of the ethogram so but anyway it's interesting it's kind of putting together a puzzle and it gives us one more tool to try and do better with our horses and the study concluded that within those 24 behaviors of the ethogram where we see eight or more and behavioral markers, that's what's likely to indicate the presence of musculoskeletal pain. So some horses showed less, you know, some had three to six behavioral 
um, indicators, but it was after the point where they were showing eight, eight or more that that was determined, which is pretty cool, I think, because then you can take a look at that ethogram um, that Nancy will put up and it's, I would read it out to you, but it'll take 24 minutes in itself. <laughs> so yeah. um, take a look at that and you'll be able to establish that for your horse too. And another important point actually from this, and you know, we've come across this in other papers too, where we're looking at behavior and stuff, but some horses, the white of their eye will naturally be exposed. It just depends on their genetics some have smaller irises so we kind of see this white constantly and then that's not in those cases that's not a sign of pain or that's not a sign of fear or any kind of adverse behavior for that horse because that's what's natural we need to take a number of behaviors into account to kind of establish um what's actually going on yeah and that's why they trained um these veterinarians and there were 40 applicants yet they only picked 10. So there were quite a, quite a bit of interest in this study where they wanted to be a volunteer for it. So um, I think that it's important to, you know, consult a professional that's been trained in this um, if you're going to use these behaviors as an indicator. Definitely. Um, I think it's good to have that knowledge and that's, I mean, that's what me and Nancy are doing. That's our whole purpose. Yeah. <laughs> is to try and just spread some of the knowledge, um, but definitely get some help. If you think your horse is showing any signs of pain, you know, seek some professional advice there. Yeah. And I will say there were 14 geldings and six mares. So it's not like they used, you know, a majority of mares um, in this. And then also, um, the, a lot of different breeds. I mean, there were warm bloods, thoroughbreds, Irish sport horses, shires, Connemaras. I mean, there were, you know, a good uh, distribution of um, breeding in this study as well. So really, really interesting. And I did want to thank, um, we had a couple saddle fitting questions come through this week. And thanks to Chelsea and Stacy on uh, those questions and then also uh, for the pictures. So that was great to get that interaction. It's tough with photos, but at least we could maybe give you a few ideas to work on. We've also had a request um, from Aileen just to cover how we, how we know we're using a good um, research paper how to gauge a good research paper. So Nancy and I are going to release a bonus episode on Sunday. Um, and it's just going to be a short uh, run through of what we use when we're determining whether a research paper is a reliable one or one worth sharing. Yeah. And then I want to thank uh, Sue Dyson. We heard from Dr. Dyson on our episode and she had uh, two comments and one is to make sure that um, we say that um, this ridden horse pain ethogram, that it's not tacking up behaviors. It's behaviors being ridden that indicate or reflect, um, 
you know, muscle and skeletal pain. So um, I wanted to be sure and said that to say that. And uh, she said it also, you know, may indicate the presence of lameness. And then also, I think I said about the length of the saddle tree, um, you know, maybe not going beyond the 18th thoracic vertebrae and the 18th rib. Um, but I also said because of kidney uh, pressure on the kidneys, and she did say that um, that's a myth in saddle fitting world, and that uh, it is more pain in the lumbar region. And that's what they found in this study is that um, they palpated along the muscles in the spine, and they found quite a few back sore horses, I'll just put it that way. Brilliant. Um, I think that was everything I had for this week, other than welcome to our new listeners. Um, if you do want to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook, Conversations in Equine Science, and Instagram, Conversations.EquineScience. Any questions, um, or if you have any areas you want us to look into, please just give us a shout, and we'd be happy to take a look. Okay, well, thanks. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Anthony. Talk to you next week. Okay, bye bye. Take care.